Have you ever wanted to raise your hand and ask a question during the Sunday morning sermon? Are you looking for a place where you can find real hope? Join us on the Real Life Living in the Here and Now podcast as we tackle life's most unwelcome questions and learn to live free and real. Each week, we will take on a subject that cuts through the hype and deals with the hurt and brokenness everyone has but doesn't know where to begin. And now let's join Joe and Jeremy as they get real with themselves, with God, and with you. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Real Life Living in the Here and Now. This is our second episode into our Truth series. And again, I just want to remind you, if you haven't listened to the first one, I would highly recommend that you go back and listen to that one first. Uh, with me here today, as always, is Mr. Joe Farmer and also Scott Napier. Um, on the last episode, um, we talked about our uh, our good buddy here, Scott, who's with us, and he's he's the the voice you hear at the beginning, the intro, and the outro of each episode. He's a, a good buddy of Joe's that he met, and uh, he's a, a sound wizard. Uh, we've been. Uh, <laughs> we realized that we recorded uh, almost five episodes without We're using morons, <laughs> without even basically. using the mics that we have, uh, and so he came over one time. And was like, "Boys, y'all ain't even using these microphones here." So we thank him and appreciate him a whole lot for yeah. getting us on track. Especially here. for you out there can actually hear us now. Then uh, thanks, Scott. Yeah, uh, those first first few episodes may have been a little rough for you. Hopefully, uh, we continue to improve. Thanks for extending a little bit of grace there towards us as we learn throughout this whole podcast journey. So uh, just to give a little recap, again, I'm not going to get too much into it. If, if you would, just go back and listen to that first episode. But we started talking about truth and what is truth and different kinds of truth and, and, and uh, different types of evidence, even from scientific evidence to historical evidence and, and even getting to the point where we realize that, you know, science only takes you so far. But, but when we do believe in things, like when we do believe uh, in, in a God, uh, in Jesus, in those things, we're not, it's not just blind faith. We're not just taking a word and running with it there there's there's evidence to back those things up and, and again we're talking about you know as believers our entire life is wrapped up in our belief in jesus and um and and it, it changes how we act how we talk how we how my, i'm a father i'm a, a husband all those things are based in that one belief and there, there's, there's evidence. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And so we're going to continue talking about truth today and diving into a little bit uh, further. Uh, so, Joe, you want to kick us off with some things there? Yeah, I want to just kind of touch on, and there's just so much, you know, that I, we just can't get into. I mean, we could, but, uh, you know, what we want to do here is just uh, try to raise awareness to things and and we want people to become true seekers you know for yourself we want you to don't even rely on what we say you know uh, test the evidence uh, research for yourself and 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 it's out there if if you are truly searching for the truth you know you owe it to yourself i mean you think about it for a minute you know here we are these human beings living on this planet that is as placed exactly in the right spot that we don't freeze to death or, or burn up, that rotates at just the right speed, it goes around the the sun at just the right axis, tilt, and all that, that we don't die. And we've got this one life that we live. Don't you owe it to yourself to find out, you know, if God is real, if all of this is real, what you're doing here? All of us have that question. 
at one time or another in your life, you're going to come to a point, you're going to ask yourself, why am I here? You know, and, and what am I doing here? And Jeremy, for me, that happened when I was uh, 19 years old, almost 20. I began to question, why am I here? And, and why was I born? Why wasn't I born in another country? And and if, and if God's real, then what does that mean? What does that mean for my life? And And I began to search for the truth. And as Jesus said, the spirit of truth, you know, will come. And when he comes, he'll convince the world, you know, of so many things. One of those of sin, but, you know, the Holy Spirit convinced me I was a sinner and that God's judgment was resting on my life. And and I came to that truth and I repented of my sin and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he completely transformed my life. So you might think, well, how do I start out this Search of truth to find out if something is true or not. The first test that you use is called the bibliographical test. Now, that the big bibliographical test is an examination of the textual transmission by which ancient documents reach us from the past. In other words, for example, the Bible. How did we get the Bible? What was the process by which it was handed down to us? In other words, since we don't have the original manuscripts, we have to ask the questions. How reliable are the copies that we have? So you'll hear this argument all the time for people. Well, you can't trust the Bible. It's been changed. Well, has it? Have you, you know, have you researched that? Have you went back and looked at the original? They're there. You can find them. You can find out all of this. Uh, a lot of times we just throw that up as a defense because we don't like the consequences of knowing that God is real. Right. If God is real, then what are the implications of that on my life? The way that I'm currently living, that means that I'm accountable. Then what do I do about it? You know, So uh, how reliable are the copies we have? How many manuscripts have survived? How consistent are they? What is the time interval between the original and the copies that we have? Now, we can appreciate a tremendous wealth of manuscripts authority of the New Testament by comparing it to other manuscripts of other historical documents. And I could get into so many of these, and I'm, and I'm tempted to, but again, I want you to, let me just give you one example. Go, go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, so uh, re- before you go any further, what I want to, because I was kind of blind to this too, in case you're brand new at all this, I just want to describe a manuscript real quick and what kind of what that is. And so, basically, when you back in the old, old, old days, they didn't have paper and pen and, and, and computers like we do today. They Their ink was different. Their paper was different, all those things. And when you had, essentially, so the people that wrote the Bible, they, the, the original authors wrote their, you know, they wrote what they wrote. You know, they're inspired by God. They, they, wrote, they wrote those things down. And, and since that original writing, there were folks in the Bible uh, called scribes, and basically their job was to make a copy of that original. And that's what a manuscript is, essentially. It's a copy of the original. And with, with all ancient texts, that's what you have. You have the originals, and then you have manuscripts. Uh, however, there, there's, you know, there, with the Bible, for example, there's thousands uh, of copies. And so that, that's what a manuscript a manuscript is. It's a, it's a copy of those original writings. And, and when you when you start, and you're going to get into this, Joe, but when you start talking about the validity of Scripture or any other ancient historical text for that matter, you look at those manuscripts, you look and see how they compare to each other, how many are available and, and, and things like that. And so just in case you had no idea really what a manuscript was or anything like that, I just wanted to, to mention that real quick. Well, and 
For example, you think of Aristotle. Nobody questions the writings of Aristotle. Nobody questions the existence of Aristotle. But when you look at his writings from the bibliographical text, Aristotle wrote his poetics around 343 B.C., and yet the earliest copy we have is dated A.D. 1100, a gap of almost 1,400 years, and only five manuscripts exist. But yet nobody questions the writings of Aristotle. Nobody questions you know, their authenticity, but yet they were written over... 1400 years the only copy the, the earliest copy we have after his life so for example that would be like today um a book that was written today in the year 2020 and the only copy we had of it we found was rewritten 1400 years after today and yet we would hold on to that and say that is absolutely true beyond a shadow of a doubt you can't question it there's no doubt about it and that's you know the 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 test that we put to scripture isn't the same one we use for others, you know, and and people are like they just accept it because well well you should again you're using more faith than it takes to even believe in the word of God. Now consider Caesar. Caesar composed his history of the Gallic Wars between 58 and 50 B.C. and its manuscripts authority rests on nine or ten copies dating 1,000 years after his death. Now. How accurate would something be if you waited a thousand years to write about it? Okay? Yeah. How accurate would it be? Uh, so, with regard to the first century historian Josephus, we have nine Greek manuscripts of his work, The Jewish War. And these copies were written in the 10th, 11th, and 12th centuries. Now, there is a Latin translation from the 4th century and medieval Russian materials from the 11th or 12th centuries. Again, so how did these manuscripts come to us? How did the how did the Bible come to us when you apply the bibliographical text to it? The quantity of New Testament material com, uh, compared to that is almost embarrassing uh, with other works of antiquity. For example, when Josh McDowell first wrote More Than a Carpenter in 1981, he was able to document 4,600 Greek manuscripts of the Bible. 4,600 of just the Greek. That's not Hebrew. That's just Greek uh, of the Bible. Abundantly more source material that exists for any other book written in antiquity. However, as the time of, of this reprint, there have been found, you can now document more than 5,600 of them. There's literally thousands just in the Greek. Uh, so there's far more to support the Bible than any other. In addition to the manuscripts, there's over 50,000 fragments sealed in boxes. About 30 separate New Testament manuscripts have been identified in the fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls and some of the other writings. In the St. George's Tower that was uncovered in 1975 uh, in Sinai, you know, there's thousands upon thousands to back up the bibliographical text of the Bible, Jeremy. And you were also talking about the time frame from which the, those copies were made. And if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, they can date some of the New Testament material, those manuscripts, as early as 30 years after Jesus was actually here. And not only that, there were eyewitnesses living in the time that these books were written. There were people they could talk to. 
there are eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. Over 500 people seen him with their own eye. And even Paul writes about that. He writes about it. He says, you can talk to these people. This isn't something that we're doing in a corner. These people are still alive. There is eyewitness accounts yeah. of Jesus' resurrection. People that lived with him, walked with him, knew him, his disciples, people that uh, seen him, touched him, felt him, talked to him, were alive when these books were written. Yeah, and so and so just to kind of again paint another picture for you, that would be like you know today. Let's let's say something. Uh, or just let's just take nine eleven for example. Uh, that event happened. You can still to this day. You can go talk to a lot. You know, all of us sitting here today were alive during that time. We we watched that happen. We watched that unfold. You could talk to leaders, and you could talk to military folks, and you could talk to families uh, of of the people who were involved in that. You could talk to them. You could get their accounts. You could talk to the firefighters that were on scene. You could talk to the police officers in New York. You can talk to them about those events. Well, if you wait a thousand years from now, all of us are going to be gone. You can't go back. You, you would have to. You know what? What do you have to work with? And so what we're saying here is in terms of. Uh, truth in terms of, of of documenting accurate events. When you talk about the time frame from which the the event happened to the the next copy and the number of copies, those are those are two ways you can look at a text and you can look at these manuscripts and confirm its validity and its accuracy. That's right. And you know we talk about the bibliographical text, the test. The second one is the internal evidence test. The bibliographical test determines only that the text we have now is what was originally recorded. In other words, do for example, the Bible is the Bible we have today, the Bible that was written then. You know, do you have original manuscripts to back up the validity of what you have in your hands today? One has still to determine though, not only whether that original written record is credible, but also to what extent it is credible. You know, did they make it up? Did they lie about it? Was it falsified? That's the task of internal criticism, which is the second test of histocracy. So that's the second test that you have to put to any historical evidence. Is it the same one that we got? Okay, and now, okay, okay, it is. Then we have to start looking at it critically. You know, was it altered? Was it this or was it that? Uh this ability to tell the truth is closely related to the witnesses nearest both geographically and chronologically to the events recorded. So the person writing it, how close were they geographically and chronologically to the events that we're talking about? The New Testament accounts of the life and the teaching of Jesus were recorded by men who had been either eyewitnesses themselves or who related the accounts of eyewitnesses of the actual events or teachings of Christ now consider the, the the statements in the New Testament. Let me just read something just for a minute, and and I won't go too long on this. In in Luke one, verses one through through three, most honorable Theophilus, and and if you know anything about Luke too, Luke was an incredible historian. Many people have written accounts about the events that took place among us. They use as their source material the reports circulating among us from the early disciples and other eyewitnesses of what God has done in fulfillment of his promises. Having carefully investigated all of these accounts from the beginning, I have decided to write a careful summary for you to reassure you of the truth of all you were taught 
Scholars acknowledge Luke's historical accuracy, by the way. Um, the general consensus of, the, of both liberal and conservative scholars is that Luke is very accurate as a historian. And he's of irrefute. He's eloquent. His Greek approaches uh, are, are of, of the highest quality. And he writes, as an educated man, and archaeological discoveries are showing over and over again that Luke is accurate in what he has to say. In 2 Peter 1 and 6, Peter writes, We were not making up clever stories when we told you about the power of our Lord Jesus Christ and his coming again. We have seen his majestic splendor with our own eyes. So that's a test you have to put with something. When you're reading any text, regardless of what it is, your history books, uh, your biology books, whatever that it is, Jeremy, that we're talking about, and especially when you're talking about Scripture, does it pass the internal evidence test? Yeah, and one thing that stuck out to me when I was learning about some of this stuff and, and you start talking about you know the disciples, for example, what they were writing about, you got to think about this. They were followers of Jesus, and if, if Jesus was a liar... If they had not seen for themselves the truth of his life, death, and then resurrection, everything that they had written about would have been for a lie. And not only that, a lie that they would have known. So how many of us would would literally be to the point where, you know, Peter, for example, crucified, and he he said, I don't even want to be put to death like my Lord. Hang me upside down. And so these men went to, they lived lives where they were tortured, beaten, and killed. And if it had not been true, no one would do that. A lot of of people would, like, for example, you know, going back to 9-11, the folks that flew those planes into those buildings, they died for a lie, but it's a lie that they thought to be true. Exactly. But in this case, they, if they had not seen Jesus raised from the dead... There's no way they would have lived the lives that they lived and went through that what they went through, knowing that it hadn't it wouldn't have been true. And you know, there's historical evidence. The guy's name slips me right now. Was in Egypt, but he would confront believers, and, and he records this, and and he and he talks about. It. He said, "I would ask them, you know, basically, are you a follower of Jesus?" And all they had to do was say no, and I would leave them alone. And I would ask them, and they would say yes, and I would re-ask them two or three times to give them an opportunity just to say no so they didn't have to die for because at that point I have no choice but to put them to death. And he writes about this over and over, how that he would ask people, that if are, are you a follower of Jesus? And they would say yes, knowing that they had to give their life for it, Scott. Yeah. And that, that's amazing to me. Yeah. And. You know, I, I wasn't, you know, there when Jesus raised from the dead, but I was there the day that I got saved. And I know the encounter that I had with my risen Lord and Savior. I know how he changed my life. Yeah. And that's real to me, Jeremy. That's as real as my right hand right now. And there's no doubt in my mind. I went from being a drug addict to being lost to being a, a thief and a liar and all those things in a moment of. 20 minutes on my knees before God. He completely changed my life. I went from being terrified to go to sleep at night because I would die to being excited about death the next day. 
going down and stopping every car that came through town to tell them what happened to me. And there's so much more I want to get into uh, with this next week, but I think we're, we're running out of time. Uh, there's a couple more things I want to get into, and one of them is the, the internal evidence test. Uh, we've talked about the bibliographical text, the external evidence test, and we want to get into the internal evidence test and a, and a few other things. And Jeremy, just wrap it up for us before we go. Yeah, and I love what you say there, Joe. And and, as, and and again, guys, as much as we talk about you know learning to examine evidence, and we want you to do that. We want you to take this stuff. We want you. To, we want you to look into those things. There's a point to where you, you know knowledge uh, scripturally the word yada in scripture is an experiential knowledge there comes a point where you can you can study you can research you can look at as much as you want to but when it comes to like you're saying that moment you got saved you know that moment when you experience it for yourself you experience the power you experience transformation that's when things really, really become true for you. And I, so I would just encourage you to, to, man, look into this stuff, look into truth, and then th- there does come a point where you have to take a step into it and experience that for yourself. And so, again, we love you so much. We thank you so much for listening. We'll continue our talk on truth next week. Um, but until then, as always, keep it real. Thank you for joining the Real Life Podcast. You can subscribe to our program anywhere podcasts are available. Stay up to date by subscribing to our show. Join us next week as we tackle real life together.